Kimmy, Kim, why don't you do something? Susie. No tricks, no treats. Scary monsters. Super creeps. Keep me running. Trick or treat? What does that mean? It means you give us some cash. No sweets, no credit cards. Why? Because it's the end of October. Trick or treat, trick or treat, the bitter and the sweet. Trick or treat, trick or treat, the bitter and the sweet. <laughs> It's the end of October, which means only one thing. We're only two months from Christmas. Oh, and it's Halloween. And for our second October episode, Merry Britsmas switches to Merry Spooksmas. I love Halloween, not nearly as much as Christmas, but still a hell of a lot. So it's time to explore some creepy British stuff that's more Halloween than festive, although maybe with some festive links here and there. We're still going to continue to be very festive with our big Christmas number one showdown as we get our first matchups between the winners of the giant first group. Also on today's episode, I look at a haunting episode of the IT crowd, some creepy alternative British tracks, and some eerie historical stories from the Southwest. <laughs> Compared to Christmas, there aren't really that many direct Halloween songs, but I love making Halloween-themed playlists with songs about ghosts, ghouls, creatures, graveyards, and everything connected to the holiday. I thought I'd track through my playlist and see if I had any songs from British artists that you could potentially add to your spooky playlists if you have one. First up is a song from an indie rock band who found fame in the early 2000s with a debut album called Costello Music in 2006, The Fratellis. Their huge single, Chelsea Dagger, even became a proper football chant here as well. I actually won tickets to see them via a radio competition when I was a teenager, and they were a blast live. They're a Glaswegian group, and their name, the Fratellis, comes from the criminal family in the Goonies, and their music is fun, frantic, danceable indie rock. They won the Brit Award for Best Breakthrough Act in 2007, and have since released five records, the most recent in 2021. The song I want to share today is the opening song on their third album called We Need Medicine, which actually came out in October via BMG Records. And the track is called Halloween Blues, and it's a bluesy stomp, even chucking in a reference to Harry Belafonte. And a big tonal switch now to one of my favourite personal artists, Laura Marling, 
a folk singer-songwriter who got her start with indie folk group Noah and the Whale, and she also sang with Mumford and Sons, but then branched out to solo stuff with her debut album Alas I Cannot Swim in 2008. She's since released six more records, most of which have received critical acclaim and award nominations, including three Mercury Prize nominations, one Brit Award, one Enemy Award, and one UK Americana Award. She's been nominated for two Grammy albums for Best Folk Record as well. She's a wonderful musician, and I've loved how she's subtly changed her sound through each record, with everyone getting heartfelt and emotional moments. She also recorded a cover of Scream classic Red Right Hand for the TV show Peaky Blinders. But we're getting original and spooky, and so we need to go right back to that debut album and, as with the first track, the very first song, called Ghosts. It's more about ghosts of your past and your ex-love, but it's got mourning and ghostly language and sounds haunting enough to get onto my playlists. These are just ghosts that broke my heart before I met you. Opened up his little heart, unlocked the lock that kept it dark. Read a written warning, saying I'm still mourning over ghosts, over ghosts, over ghosts, over ghosts that broke my heart before I met you. Lover, please do not fall to your knees. It's not like I believe in everlasting love. He went crazy at 19, said he lost all his self-esteem and couldn't understand why he was crying, 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 crying. And finally, let's get classic rock and go back in time to 1971 with the legends that are Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath have all sorts of perfectly good Halloween vibes, songs and general attitudes. Ozzy could be a Halloween episode in himself. But if you don't know about the band, Black Sabbath are a group from Birmingham who helped develop the genre of heavy metal, and their first two albums, Black Sabbath and Paranoid, are classics of the genre, even though critics at the time were relatively unfavourable for some reason. Perhaps they were scared of this frightful four, but that's enough reason to love them for me. Master of Reality was their third record, released via Island Records, with the band down-tuning their instruments to create a more hefty doom sound. I thought I'd select one of my favourite, Children of the Grave, a song that actually touches upon anti-war ideas, but is often considered one of the best Sabbath songs. How about you check out another podcast in the Christmas Podcast Network? 
Christmas is about traditions. Throughout the holidays, friends and family gather together to share love, laughter, and a bounty of Christmas foods. We all love tracing our family traditions back through the generations to find out where they began. But have you ever wondered about the food found on your holiday tables year after year? Join me, Glenn Warren, as the host of Seasons Eatings and travel the world as we explore the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. New episodes are released every month. You can find Seasons Eatings at seasonseatingspodcast.com and wherever you download your favorite podcast. So join me, Glenn Warren, for your next serving of Seasons Eatings. <laughs> There's not a lot of British Halloween TV episodes compared to all the American sitcoms that usually have some sort of trick-or-treat-focused episodes, but I managed to find one that kind of connects. The IT Crowd was a sitcom on Channel 4 that started in 2006 and ran for four seasons, as well as a special finale episode that became a cult favourite. It's set at a fictional business called Renum Industries in London, and we focus on the IT team, shoved in a basement composed of super-shy nerd moss played by Richard Aowadi, Sarcastic and usually irritated Roy, played by Chris O'Dowd, and their tech illiterate manager Jen, played by Catherine Parkinson. We often see the head of the company as well, Denham Reynolds, played by Chris Morris in the early seasons, and he is an egocentric monster of a boss. The series won BAFTAs, International Emmys and British Comedy Awards. They did try to make an American version with Joel McHale of Community as Roy, but it only lasted for a pilot with a full series never appearing, thankfully in my opinion. The spooky episode I'm going to explore today was the fifth episode of series one, airing in February 2006 and it's called The Haunting of Bill Krause. It begins with Jen on a date that seems to be going well with a man named Bill, played by one of my favourite comedians and podcasters, Adam Buxton. Yeah, I'll be honest, when Julie suggested we get together I was like, no, you know, I get set up a lot by friends and it never works out. Oh, tell me about it, me too. You know, I hate dates usually. They should call dates, spend some time with a big fat loser. (laughs) (laughs) But this has been brilliant. But quickly Bill reveals himself as a bit of a prat. Let me guess, um, you're a red wine person. Yes, yes I am. Oh, I would be too if we could get some service round here. Yeah, you, Hucknall. (laughs) <laughs> when, you're, when you're simply ready. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, I should say, um, I don't really like sharing. So you get what you want, I'll get what I want, we'll leave it at that. I just think it's a lot less confusing. Back in the office the next day, Roy reveals the secrets of waiting. What else? Oh, God, you should have seen him with the waiters. Rude. Unbelievable! Oh, yeah, I used to work as a waiter. If anyone was ever rude to me, I used to carry their food around in my trousers. Oh, my God. Before you brought it to their table? No, after. (laughs) Of course, before. Why would I do it after? And Jen asks Moss to cover for her in case Bill arrives or calls. Moss, you're not going to court, yeah? Yeah. Just tell him something. Yeah, it's just I've never been very good at judging the scale of the lie. Yeah, stop I'm not good at it. I've yeah, never been able to do it. When I was a child, really I told a whopper and it just really... Just tell him I'm busy! <laughs> You're busy. That's brilliant. <laughs> and when Bill does turn up, of course, Moss panics as usual. 
Is she in here? No. I won't keep her a second. Yes, I'm just going to give her these. Don't give her them. I just want to give her these. She, she won't take a second. Like she no, won't mind. She will mind. It's not a problem. It's I won't take any time. Look, take why can't time. I go in? Because she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill has quickly started to spread the news alongside a big lie. You're going for my tea. That's terrible. I know. Terrible. <laughs> terrible thing. You know, um, I was actually the last person to sleep with her. And downstairs, Moss is also having to deal with mourners from the office. Very sudden, yes. I hear it was some bad tapas. Tapas, yes. You must be stunned. I'm flabbergasted. Well, you know where we are if you need us. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine, thanks. Just sort of stay away from this whole area while we come to terms with the loss. Leave me now. I would be alone. Outside the IT office, Jen finds some lovely flowers and messages and gets the wrong idea. I just got a big load of flowers and a big card and everyone has signed it. You will always be in our hearts. Oh my God, and you said they weren't nice here. Yeah. <laughs> and Moss messes up again. It's because everyone thinks you're brilliant. <laughs> really? Yeah. And in fact, everyone thinks you're so brilliant, they've just made you employee of the month. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yeah, huh? I don't believe it. Please believe it. Oh, my God. Jen goes up to the higher floors to say thanks and bumps into a worker who gives her a ride on his mail trolley. Didn't I hear you? I thought you were sick or something. Sick? Me? No. I couldn't be better. I'm just one employee of the month. So, uh, you go in my way? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare go too fast. No! No! <laughs> and as she flies through the office corridors, her head perfectly aligns with the top of a window that Bill is facing while spreading his lies to make it seem as if a headless woman is screaming by. You know, um, I was the last person that slept with her, actually. <laughs> she held on so tightly, you know, it was like... Scary, but sexy scary, you know, it's just like, yeah. Jen? What are you still doing here, Bill? For God's sake, go home. Cut to a memorial in the office, and the boss, Denham, gives a confusing speech. There's one more angel in heaven. God, I miss Jen. She reminded me of me at her age. I mean, when I was her age, she reminded me of her age. And then Jen's actual arrival at her own memorial twists her colleagues' emotions quickly. Oh, my God. Um, thank you so, so much. Um, I would... I would not be standing up here today if it wasn't for so many people. <laughs> not least. Dad! Without him! Hey, she isn't dead! Yeah. <laughs> you lying cow! And she rushes back downstairs to confront a terrified moss. Hello there, Jen. I would love to stay and chat, but I've just received a telephone call saying that my father has just killed someone. Which... <laughs> I need to attend to. Did you tell everyone I was dead? <laughs> Maybe. 
because uh, they all thought I was dead. Yeah. <laughs> but he reveals what Bill has been saying, so she leaves him an enraged voice message. You're dead, so he's telling everybody you slept with him. He's the one you should be angry at, not me. I'm insignificant. Bastard. <laughs> Voicemail. <coughs> hey, it's Jen. Stop telling everyone I slept with you, you bu- <laughs> <laughs> And when he picks it up, it causes an appropriate reaction. You have one new message. Hey, it's Jen. Stop <laughs> telling people I slept with you, you bu- <laughs> <laughs> And to finish the episode, Jen heads to confront Bill at his house in the rain, and her appearance outside of his window gets him well and truly horrified. Probably the guys, probably guys, leaving a mess, funny message. Probably Bob, it's Bob, leaving funny messages. And, uh, and the floating head. Just <laughs> stressed, a bit stressed, is all, and, and just fun and games. scary in any way because it's a very silly sitcom but the way the situations connect to create this one man haunting is brilliant. Moss and Jen's interactions in the show are particularly great as Moss struggles to get through social interactions in difficult situations at the best of times. There's an odd couple of side plots involving a supposed appearance from Elton John and Roy avoiding an ugly office worker who thinks he likes her and this showing the attitudes of the era of sitcoms that are happy to mock appearances especially of women and it's kind of on dodgy ground now. Although it does end with a great sight gag allusion to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's worth a watch for the Jen storyline though, and it's haunted enough for a slight Halloween link. <laughs> November is almost here, and November 1st is Christmas Podcast Day. On this day, all of the big Christmas podcasters, and me for some reason, are putting out a special episode to welcome in the super festive months, and this year, we're all exploring a version or a take on a Christmas carol. After Halloween is done, it's time to start the Christmas fun. Yes, my friends, it's Christmas Podcast Day! November 1st is the day you need to check your favourite podcast feed and join in the fun on Christmas Podcast Day! All your favorite Christmas shows are releasing brand new episodes. Some may say that it's too soon, but they're lucky we don't do it in June. So come along and have a laugh as we talk carols, films, and crafts, and all other things from the merriest holiday. Tell everyone it's Christmas Podcast. Join in the fun on Christmas Podcast. Download everyone on Christmas Podcast Day. Get in the sleigh, it's Christmas Podcast Day. Christmas Podcast Day. Hey!
<laughs> and finally, it's time to reveal the results of the final group of the big first round in the big Christmas number one showdown. I've randomised every Christmas number one into matching pairs and they're facing off on my social media until we get down to one winner. I'll intro and play a snippet of each song and post them, with a few days for voting. I'd love for you to share the posts, get your friends voting, get in touch to let me know which ones you want to win and which ones you want to chuck in the bin. And over the last month you've been voting for the final group of the first round and the results are as follows. Elvis Presley's Return to Sender from 1962 beat 2015's A Bridge Over You by the Lewisham and Greenwich NHS Choir. 1989's Band Aid 2, Do They Know It's Christmas, beat Frankie Lane's Answer Me from 1953. 1958's It's Only Make Believe by Conway Twitty, beat Jackie Wilson's 1986 Wheat Petite re-release. 1981's The Human League, Don't You Want Me, beat Al Martino's Here In My Heart from 1952. And finally, 1999's I Have A Dream and Seasons In The Sun by Westlife, beat Rene and Renato's Save Your Love from 1982. But now we're down to the next round, and we're going to have two groups of nine face-offs. The first lot on this episode, and the next lot on my first November episode. So, keep an eye on the social medias and get voting. And here are the first nine face-offs for round two. First up, it's 1971's Ernie by Benny Hill. He's badge upon his chest, his name was Ernie, and he drove the fastest milk cart in the West. Now Ernie loved a widow, a lady known as Sue. She lived all alone in Lily Lane at number 22. They said she was too good for him, she was haughty, proud and chic. But Ernie got his cocoa there three times every week. They called him Ernie. Ernie! And he drove the fastest milk cart in the West. She said she Versus 1959's What Do You Want To Make Those Eyes At Me For by Emile Ford. They don't mean what they say They make me glad They make me sad They make me want a lot of things that I never had You fooling around with me now Well, hell, you lead me on and then you run away Well, that's all right I'll get you alone tonight And baby, you'll find Then... 1994's E17 Stay Another Day. Versus 1983's Flying Pickets, Only You. Seven's Pet Shop Boys always on my mind. Maybe I don't love you quite as often as I could. Little things I should have said and done. I never took the time. You are always on my 
versus 1988's Cliff Richard with Mistletoe and Wine. Christmas time, mistletoe and wine, children singing Christian land, with logs on the fire and gifts on the tree, a time to rejoice in the good that we see, a time for living, a time for 1978's Boney M with Mary's boy child slash Oh My Lord. In Bethlehem, so the Holy Bible said, Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ, was born on Christmas Day. Hark now hear the angels sing, a king was born today. Faces off against 1961's Moon River by Danny Williams. I'm crossing you in style someday. Old dream maker, you heartbreaker. Wherever you're going, I'm going your way. Nineteen seventy nine's Another Brick in the Wall Part Two by Pink Floyd. against 2002's Sound of the Underground by Girls Aloud. Nineteen sixty five's Day Tripper and We Can Work It Out by The Beatles. Got a good reason for taking the easy way out. Got a good reason for taking the easy way out now. She was a day tripper. One way ticket, yeah. It took me so his verses. 2017's Perfect by Ed Sheeran. Cause we were just kids when we fell in love Not knowing what it was I will not give you up this time Darling, just kiss me slow Your heart is all I own And in your eyes Seventy-seven's Mull of Kintyre by Wings. Far have I travelled and much have I seen Dark distant mountains with 
valleys of green Past painted deserts The sun sets on fire As he carries me home Faces off against Band Aid 2 from 1989 with Do They Know It's Christmas. Seventy-three's "Merry Christmas, Everybody" by Slade, a classic of the Christmas genre. Faces off against 1966's Green Grass of Home by Tom Jones. Looks the same as I step down from the train and there to meet me is my mama and papa down the Cherries, it's good to touch the green. And finally, 1976's When a Child is Born by Johnny Mathis. Dawn's a brand new morn. This comes to pass where a child is born. A silent wish sails the seven seas. The winds of change. Faces off against Cliff Richard and the Shadows with I Love You from 1960. I want you for my own I need you near to me A few Christmas songs and some real classics in there as well from the likes of Pink Floyd and the Beatles. So, you can vote online via my social media and you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram and Facebook at Merry Britsmas. <laughs> I thought I'd end spooky season with a few stories I found in a book about strange happenings in Cornwall whilst I was visiting that region this summer. The book had a range of supernatural goings on, but a few caught my eye because they have slightly seasonal connections. So settle down with a lit candle, drawn curtains, and something pumpkin spice to hear these strange Cornish tales of history, death, and the supernatural. The first story comes from a letter that was written by a lady of a place called Anthony House in Torpoint in Cornwall on the 31st of December, 1883, and she recounts what happened in October, 1880. 
She says, In October 1880, Lord and Lady Waldgrave came with their maid, Helen Alexander, to stay with us. Helen was discovered to have caught typhoid fever, but she did not seem to be very ill in spite of it, and, as there seemed no fear of danger, and Lord and Lady Waldgrave had to go on a long journey the following day, they decided to leave her, as they were advised to do so under their friend's care. The illness ran its course and she seemed to be going perfectly well to the Sunday week following when the doctor told me that the fever had left her, but the weakness was making him anxious. I engaged a nurse against the wish of my maid who had been her chief nurse through the illness and was devoted to her. However, as the nurse could not come till the following day, I allowed Reddell to sit up with her again that night to give her medicine and food. At about 4.30 that night, or rather Monday morning, Reddell looked at her watch poured out the medicine and was bending over the bed to give it to her, when a call bell in the passage rang. She said to herself, there's that tiresome bell with the wire caught again. It seemed to occasionally ring of itself. At this moment, however, she heard the door open, and looking round, saw a stout old woman walk in. She was dressed in nightgown and red petticoat and carried an old-fashioned brass candlestick in her hand. The petticoat had a hole rubbed in it. She walked into the room and appeared to be going towards the dressing table to put her candle down. She was a perfect stranger to Reddell, who, however, thought this must be her mother or someone come to see her, and felt glad it was so. She thought the mother looked annoyed, possibly at not having been sent for. She gave Helen the medicine and, turning round, found that the figure had disappeared and the door was shut. A great change, meanwhile, had taken place in Helen, and Reddell fetched me, who sent for the doctor and applied hot poultices. But Helen died a little before the doctor came. She was conscious to go about half an hour before she died when she seemed to be going to sleep. During the early days of her illness, Helen had written to her sister, mentioning being unwell, but making nothing of it, and as she never mentioned anyone but other sister, it was supposed by the household, to whom she was a stranger, that she had no relations. Reddell was always offering to write for her, but she always declined, saying there was no need. She would write herself in a day or two. No one at home, therefore, knew of her being so ill, and it's therefore remarkable that someone such as her mother a far from nervous person should have said that evening going up to bed, I am sure Helen is very ill. Riddle told me and my daughter of the apparition about an hour after Helen's death, prefacing with, I am not superstitious or nervous, and I wasn't frightened, but a figure, her mother maybe, came last night and told the story. The relations were asked to come to the funeral, and the father, mother and sister came, and in the mother, Riddle recognised the apparition, as I did also, for the description had been most accurate. It was judged best not to speak about it to the mother, but Reddell told the sister, who said the description corresponded exactly with the probable appearance of the mother if roused in the night. They had exactly such a candlestick, and there was such a hole in the mother's petticoat produced by the way she wore it. It seems curious that neither Helen nor the mother appeared aware of the visit. Neither of them spoke of it, or of having seen the other, or even having dreamt of doing so. The next tale comes from Poundstock Church in the village of Poundstock, not far from the town of Bude. And this story tells of an account on the 27th of December, the day after Boxing Day here in the UK, in 1357, when an appalling murder took place in the church. The clerk, or the priest as we would call him now, was viciously attacked while conducting a service. What appears to have happened is that at some time, Another local powerful family, the Bedruggans, threw out the existing priest and installed their own. The two families nearby, the Penfound and the Bedruggans, were at loggerheads. The former appealed to the Pope, 
and he ordered for the rightful cleric to be reinstated. And the Bedrogans were furious, and the matter came to a brutal, bloody head. Bishop Grandison of Exeter, in his register for the year, gave this account. Certain satellites of Satan, names unknown on the Feast of St. John, which makes the crime worse, broke into the parish church of Poundstock, within our diocese with a host of armed men during Mass. And before Mass was scarcely completed, they furiously entered the chancel and with swords and staves cut down William Penvu, clerk, vestments and other church ornaments were desecrated with human blood in contempt of the Creator, in contempt of the Church, to the subversion of liberty and the disturbance of the peace of the realm. Where will we be safe from crime if the Holy Church, our Mother, the House of God and the Gateway to Heaven is deprived of sanctity? Two alleged ringleaders, John Bevel and Simon de St. Jennies, were arrested and put on trial. And whatever excuse they gave for bursting into the church and slaughtering the priest, we don't know, but it must have carried weight as they were both somehow pardoned. Unsurprisingly, after such a dreadful deed, the unavenged ghost of poor William Penvu the clerk has wandered ever since amongst the graves and around the church he loved according to eyewitnesses. He is sometimes seen kneeling before the altar, sometimes walking along the path to where he met his death. Perhaps if you visit Poundstock Church, keep an eye out for this poor, murdered priest. And the final story comes from Dock Acre House in Launceston. In Dock Acre House, on Christmas Day, 1714, a woman died named Elizabeth Hurl. This house was extensively renovated throughout the Georgian times. It's an unusual property, long and narrow, and built into the side of a hill. A barrister named Nicholas Hurl lived there with his wife, Elizabeth, the daughter of the rector of nearby Northcote. Hurl was a man of considerable means and influence, twice Mayor of London, the Mayor of Launceston and the High Sheriff in Cornwall. Portraits of the couple, Nicholas and Elizabeth, have been hung in the dining room since their time and have always been sold as important fixtures within the house. Also, in the parish church nearby of St Mary Magdalene, a memorial to Elizabeth was found behind an organ loft recently which hints at the mysterious circumstances in which she died. It says, Depart ye life, 25 December 1714, by starvation or other unlawful means. Before then, possibly because of some relationship issues, poor Elizabeth had become mentally deranged. Her husband had her locked away in a small upstairs room where, following one of the prescribed cures at that time, he set about starving her of food systematically. Unfortunately, he seems to have overdone it. She was kept too long and confined on gradually reducing rations until, when almost dead, she escaped. As she was making a frantic frenzied dash for freedom down the stairs, her husband accidentally or intentionally shot her. For more than 200 years, the large dark stain of her blood marked the second tread up the fine staircase and defied all efforts to remove it until new treads were put in. One might have expected Elizabeth to haunt this house, but oddly, it's the ghost of the murderer and not the victim who does so. Even stranger, Nicholas died on the 4th of August 1728, and not here but at Hampstead in London. But his ghost has been seen, usually in the main hall, and sometimes heard playing a flute. But be warned, because hearing this tune always the same is said to predict a death in the family who owned the property at the time. To add to the creepy factor, this flute has some strange mythology about it. No ordinary mortal can play it, as one end has long since been blocked up and been turned into a walking stick. It's also since kept in an attic, and this attic has been subject to supernatural activity. 
If it is not put away in a particular sequence along with other walking sticks, they will seem to rattle about and sort themselves into the correct order, accompanied by loud tappings, pictures falling from walls, strange crashes, bangs and thuds, unexplained footsteps on deserted stairways in empty rooms, the opening and closing of doors untouched by human hand without wind or draught. A visit to Doc Acre House is a visit to a haunting. <laughs> well, that's spooky season done on Merry Britsmas, and it's all super festive now through to December. Get ready for mince pies and Father Christmas as we kick off November with Christmas Podcast Day on November 1st, and then two normal November episodes and two December episodes with hopefully a bonus British new Christmas podcast mini-sode as usual. I'm also hoping to review some British Christmas treats this year, and will share my thoughts on social media, via Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, still not saying X, all Merry Britsmas. Get in touch if you have anything you'd like me to try, or if you have any thoughts on the episode, or the voting so far in the big Christmas number one showdown. Trick or treat? What does that mean? It means you give us some cash. No sweets, no credit cards. Why? Because it's the end of October. Trick or treat.